Um, so, so it sounds like the books that we've got are Juggernauts, X of Swords, Immortal She-Hulk, Venom, The Unkindness of Reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like raisins. Oh, I hate raisins. <laughs> Those animated Hollywood raisins are back and they're pissed. What a great slip. <laughs> and then we have oh god <laughs> a mouthful of tea joke on a raisin <laughs> um and then uh after the unkindness of ravens we've got um Acceptable podcast episode 190. Fuck yeah. No, sorry, we can't <laughs> say that. Welcome to Perfectly Acceptable Podcast episode 190. Fuck yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> Welcome to a Perfectly Acceptable Podcast episode 195. It's good to is see it? you guys. Yeah. It is. It's 195. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever we get a bunch of comic books from various distributors and different comic book companies that may or may not be just sort of fading into oblivion and then we bring them back to our comic shop and we count them sort them count them again scan them file them away take them home read them different days of the week come back on a zoom call usually the three of us Django, jeff and roman ready to sail out into the sunset and uh engage in a variety of tangents either related to or unrelated to the comic books that we took home and read the ones that we counted and filed um the comic shop you know the house with which we did it all in and the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff, and I'm certainly glad I don't have ringworm. I'm Django, and uh, I had ringworm as a child. I'm, Ro- I'm Roman, and my tapeworm ate my ringworm. <laughs> <laughs> it was disgusting to watch, but somehow he videotaped it with his old iPhone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he pulled out his iPhone S or iPhone 2 or whatever. <laughs> I think this thing takes video. And started showing it to all of us. It was disgusting. I almost sprained spray my arm in the contortions. Oh, God. Where um, was your ringworm? <laughs> that, that, that's between me and my ringworm. <laughs> and your tapeworm. And your <laughs> iPhone, too. <laughs> um, listen, we're going to talk about comic books. We're going to get really, really into it this week. And we're going to get right off the bat with the one that you're all thinking about, folks. Juggernaut. Oh, yeah. Number one. I know you're excited about it. Then we're going to talk about Ten of Swords creation. Chapter one of 22. It's like starting a a novel (laughs) and then reading several chapters of it in one comic. (laughs) Um, The Unkindness of Ravens. You sure? Number one. I'm sure. (laughs) The Immortal She-Hulk, number one. We're also going to talk about The Autumnal, number one. Boom Studios. In addition to that, we're going to talk about Skull Diggers. Skull Diggers. Episode number four, uh, issue number four, Daredevil 22. Then we're going to close it out with Django's Uber Indie, uh, Uber Indie Offshoot Hour. We're going to talk about some of the stuff under the radar that maybe you cool cats don't know about. And he's going to put you in the loop, the no loop. That's what I'm he calls it. I'm a loop it. guy. 
loop, no loop. And then I've got a little bit of a thing I'm excited to do with Django and Roman after all that that they don't know about. Oh, man. I know. It tastes like aged milk. <laughs> it tastes <laughs> like the milk around the top half of the container. That isn't technically past the date, but smells days older than the other days. Yeah, I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Please know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Juggernauts, number one. Juggernaut. <laughs> You, you know, you can calculate how quickly milk's going to spoil on the counter if you know the temperature when it starts and how big it is. When you say starts, do you mean from the, from the teat? From the, from the fridge. You, you take oh, okay. your, your half jug of milk out, and if you okay. know the volume of that and the temperature of the outside and the temperature of the inside, you can figure out when it's going to turn if you don't well, put it back in the fridge. Yeah, who's not putting their milk back in the fridge? Well, it's, like the whole thing's theoretical. I never know the volume of my milk. Oh, I mean, <laughs> listen, if we're, if we're leaving our milk out, I'll pour it in a Pyrex. <laughs> right like i'll figure out the volume of my milk got a little bit of heartburn i'm working with boys so we're just gonna Ooh. see where that takes us oh wow i've got i got some swollen lymph nodes down here I don't do know you have some on. lymphers you got a little swollen yeah. yeah it feels like i got punched in the throat sorry about that i did send someone did they find you no well maybe oh, okay. while i was asleep <laughs> well me okay well no it wouldn't be there yet so just flex your throat i didn't realize you were already going to be in pain uh when i sent <laughs> when i sent the on their punchogram <laughs> Fabian Nicieza and Ron Garney with Matt Mia made a book called Juggernaut. Number one, Roman was uh, enchanted by the fact that the R has the Sidorak uh, emblem in it. Um, I thought it would be fun to start with this one this week, boys, because if you had asked me a year ago if the three of us were going to have read a Juggernaut series that started, <laughs> you know, a lot of questions. But then You again, just would have said Juggernaut. I hardly even know her. Not like not my joke or <laughs> no, like juggernaut. I hardly even know or not. Okay. Oh yeah. I, uh, I could diagram this. <laughs> okay. I do. I need a chart. I'm not sure if you saw the chart and 10 of swords, but um, holy shit. I can't wait to show it to you, Django. So, but we got to get there first. We've got to get through the juggernauts. Um, Roman, you were very excited about this book. Don't try and pretend you weren't. You talked about it every time I saw you for like the week and a half before it came out. Jugnaut. And you said things like that. Yeah, you would say Jugnaut and things like that. What's your connection with this character? <laughs> and thank God it's written by Fabian Acieza who was writing X-Men comics in the 90s. So, Creator yeah. of Deadpool. Yeah. Was Not he? if Rob Liefeld has anything to say about it. Oh, wow. And didn't he write the first run of Thunderbolts? Or one of sure. the runs? I believe yeah. you. I, believe I don't know. I was, I was just excited because I love the name Jugnaut. and and i love his costume i love his power that he just like runs through stuff and nothing can stop him and the costume redesign i don't know if it's for this issue or if it happened sometime recently but they've added some nice uh some nice uh what do you call that pinstriping or whatever to his costume that's really cool i wouldn't say i like it more than the old costume but I like the old costume a lot and I like this one a lot also. I think I feel about Jug I think I feel about Jugnaut the way that you feel about Jugnaut. Is it Jugnaut or Jugnaut? Uh it's any variation. Juggernauts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what is a juggernaut? So so we all read this book. And uh-huh. that it just tickles me. It's really the only reason I'm I'm here at this point. I don't have a lot of insight to drop. But um, for the same things that Roman said about Jugnut, I, I feel about that. I like the costume. I think he's dumb in a fun way. It's a, I don't know if I mentioned the costume, but it's a big dome on his head. And I thought, I'll read that. And 
this is just good old Jugnot hanging out in a kind of destroyed city after maybe the fallout of uh, War of the Realms, maybe? Yeah, I think it's after that, and he's working with damage control to take down some dilapidated buildings, but there's disenfranchised youth squatting the buildings. So and if there's to go one get him thing out. we always associate with Jugnot, it's that he's going to help the disenfranchised youth. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> apparently he's, I think he's become kind of a gooder guy in the last few years. So the damage control stuff didn't interest me as much, but I did like whatever <clears throat> it said seven months ago, he got transported to limbo because of yeah. magic, like dropping him off. I have no idea. It said in Uncanny X-Men like 24, but I don't think that Rosenberg run got to 24, did it? I don't know. I didn't read any of it. I, I didn't. Did. did it get to 24? Wow. I, I thought remember. it was only 12, but now that I think about it, it was probably much more than that. Um, yeah. Yeah. This issue was the first time I knew about it and how he was stuck in limbo. The same limbo the Hulk was in back in the 80s. Oh, I thought it was like the same limbo that like magic would take, it goes through in X Men, which is like hell. I don't know. I don't know if they're related or not, but I think in this issue, it shows Juggernaut at that crossroads tree that the tree with all the hands pointing uh -huh. out of it and the hulk used to hang out there and then go off to some other place okay well i like the scenes of him and limbo trying to whatever for whatever reason he's lost his powers and he's got no muscles and he's trying to drag his suit of armor for some reason and he finally mm -hmm. gets to this tree and it's i don't really know what's happening with that but i'm very interested in that portion of the story that, and that then was, again the, the disenfranchised youth is good too that was my favorite part too when he's I just love the image because uh, he strings together his costume and drags it behind him because he's too weak to actually put it on and carry it because it's way too much. And there's something about his helmet. I think his helmet has like the, maybe the concentration of his Sidorak powers. Okay. So I think that's why he has to keep, keep a hold of the helmet. But I just like that whole uh, like Sisyphus type thing where he's just trudging through limbo and yeah. dragging his stuff and you know, doesn't know if I'm ever going to get out. Yeah, I, I actually liked the damage oh. control stuff. Damage control? Patrol. Damage control. Control. Damage control. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I liked it because the there was, I don't know, I just like the idea of this villain being used to kind of clean up after disasters that uh, heroes and villains have caused. Um, and there was one shot in there that I think... It's it's a shot of the Hulk uh, on a on a device near the end. I think uh, I don't have it in front of me, but um, I'm pretty sure that that yeah that image is from the old Damage Control comic. It looks like a Sinkevich or Kyle Baker drawing that they stole from an old comic to me. Oh yeah, definitely that like kind of like curly Q shading, like the little yeah bit, yeah curly um, Q shading is what's referred to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i didn't expect to like it i read it just kind of as part of my job but i i dug the issue quite a bit <laughs> what a world we yeah. live in django for yeah what did you do for your job this week well i did read a book called juggernauts <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know there was a scene when he's facing off against this one girl that has some kind of uh uh powers and he's trying to He's moving forward, even though against her force blast, her force shield, whatever. And I love it where she she's finally strains herself so much, she passes out. And when she does, her power, her field disappears. So, And Juggernaut, because he's moving forward anyway, 
he just like tumbles forward and crashes into stuff rubble which then falls on her and he's like ah oh, crap mm-hmm. i just and i just like that about the juggernaut that he has so little control <laughs> you can just bowls forward like that i think it's funny that uh they have to come up with a reason that somebody with powers is not on krakoa and so they're yeah. just like oh yeah i'm not a mutant yeah um that's that's a an interesting place that the current storyline has put them and, and, and there's a cool little <clears throat> bit of that that i'm excited to touch on when we get to immortal she hulk when that happens but before we bust through let's give this book some scores and like are you gonna read more of it i think i will oh yeah i'm gonna continue reading it i'll read at least another issue yeah weird it's a weird world that we live in you guys <laughs> um yeah i would give it I'm going to go 6.5 or a 7. I'm going to go 6.5 solid. Nice. Yeah, I think I'll go solid 7. Nice. Nothing, yeah, he's a nothing, big Juggernaut guy. He's nothing a can big stop the Juggernaut. Nothing guy. can stop the Juggernaut book. <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Django, we got to talk about Ten of Swords. All right. I'm going to go make some tea. No, just get it off your chest. Let's just <laughs> tell everybody where we're at with ten of swords man i tried yeah and i i got i got a few pages in and it's just that those i i guess i got to the first credits page and it was all like other worlds is, is that actually what it's called is other world yeah, yeah and it's like an old marvel thing <clears throat> okay it yeah it's all other world and kingdoms and hordes and spears and flying dragons and shit i guess i got a, a few pages after the the credits page and i was just like i can't I can't. So that's great because it allows us to have this dynamic where I'm going to try and tell you what's going on for the next 22 chapters of this book. Okay. I'm in. Okay. So everyone's spoilers. All right. Everyone, Django, you've got your tea. It's all in me now. Okay. I should have some tea because this is going to take a minute. Um, This, that last episode of X-Men issue of x-men pretty important stuff all of the dynamics of arako the fact mm-hmm. that you access arako through other world that arako is populated by a whole different class of mutants but particularly apocalypse's wife and children the four horsemen of the apocalypse things have gone real shitty there um and now all of those arako people are trying to get to krakoa turns out okay well i don't want to spoil anything so I, i'm going to but not in the wrong order um we get to at the, the scene after the the intro that wasn't great um is the free comic book day issue mm-hmm. then we get like a pretty long text dump i would assume probably written by teeny howard about the starlight citadel which is the other world thing learned a lot about other world in this issue and they cool. not cool and <laughs> and but it it presented the information to me in a way that was palatable and I understood it and it did pique my interest about it, which I did not think was going to happen. And we go through the whole like scene of the cards and the hanged man that I know is in your craw bit. Um, She does say here, no men hang, but something has been suspended indeed time, natural laws and earthly attachments. So again, metaphors, but uh, your, your complaint about it not having a hanged man is still valid. There is, Okay, so, so you know, bad radio, bad radio. Ultimately, the, the action starts <laughs> kicking off where the gate that Apocalypse made on Krakoa 
he made a gate by sacrificing this one, like some of these types of mutants called externals that lived forever. He sacrificed some of those on the piece of land that was Arako that joined with Krakoa in like issue two. Right. And because of that, he made this gate that's like got pink glass on it. And the quiet council learns about that. And they're like, well, okay, what's going on? And then, and the reason that they learn about that is because the big white summoner dude who in that X issue of X-Men went through <clears throat> to go to Otherworld with Banshee and somebody else comes back and they just got mauled to shit. Like bad things happened. So they're like, we got to go to the quiet council and talk about all this stuff. Quiet council's all like, what have you been doing apocalypse? And he's like, well, I made this gate by sacrificing these things. And they're like, you can't do that. You got to destroy that gate. And he's like, well, I think that, I mean, you should talk to Krakoa. Does Krakoa want me to destroy that gate? And then Krakoa is like, no, I want that gate open. And he's like, well, no shit. Because Krakoa and I, Apocalypse being he, have the same agenda in all of this. So then the Quiet Council is like, okay, you can go ahead and like do whatever you're doing with this gate, but you don't have the blessing of us, but you have the blessing of Krakoa. So he's like, in this very foreboding shot, he goes, of course. And then he says, I'll look for volunteers. So in a pretty confusing scene jump, we are then taken to that external gate is what it's called. And we have all of uh, Apocalypse's volunteers. So it's like Polaris, Magneto's daughter, Havoc, the stone guy that was playing the game with the summoner, Archangel. Rockslide. Rockslide, thank you. And, um, and I think Monet is her name. And anyway, they're like, okay, we're going to go, we're going to go through this gate with Apocalypse because what he wants to do, he's like, listen, Arako was split from Okara way back when, and I sacrificed all of these mutants in order to save half of mutant civilization. And so he feels guilty about it, but he had to sacrifice his kids and his wife. So he's like, if there's shit going down over there, like the summoner said, we got to take this crew and we got to go check out what is going on in other world because Otherworld is the sort of spot that exists between Arako and Krakoa. So they go through it. And before we get to that, we get this diagram, which is some dope ass. Bonkers. You got the page there. It yeah. is great and mechanically sound. And I was, it wasn't what I thought at first. And I was looking at it and all of it, like the gates and the places that they go through to do it. Very gorgeous uh, design there. Uh, and this is way more explanation than we'll usually have, because this is just a big fat issue, but they get, <clears throat> to other world and it turns out apocalypse immediately starts crying you're like what apocalypse why are you crying and he sees those four his kids the four horsemen the baddies that like shot the arrow mm -hmm. you know um and he's like oh my god those are my children and he starts walking up to them and then back on krakoa we have a mind reader start reading banshee's mind about what happened over in other world that got them all beaten up and as they're getting those flashbacks, we learn that the summoner is a betrayer. And we learn that right as Apocalypse's kids gang up and kill him. They stab him with a big old flaming sword through the gut, took him down. Um, and then all, all hell breaks loose at that point. We got X-Men and uh, fighting these Apocalyptian or Arako hordes. But that is, inter that, that is stopped because Saturnine who is the lady in charge of Otherworld where all of this is happening. Mm -hmm. She's all, she seems, now Roman <clears throat> knows and I don't, so please forgive me, but she like stops time for a second and she seems to have like kind of godlike powers within this realm. 
and she stops time and she goes down there and she's like, what the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> and they're like, man, we're fighting. The Iraqo people are like, dude, we got a bunch of beef with apocalypse because it turns out like bad dad syndrome, right? Like, you know, you sacrificed our mom and you left us in this hell dimension. So now it turns out like they're kind of coming, it seems like with beef towards Krakoa and he didn't realize that. And Saturnine for some reason is like, okay, well that's not super legit you don't just get to traipse through my land and kill all of my land. So if you want to do that, you can come back here in three days time with your like four or five best champions and they'll fight my four or five best champions. And if you win, you can go through. And the guy who she's talking to is one of the apocalypse guys with the dog head. He's like, all right, fine. In three days, we'll bring our toughest kids to the sandlot and you bring your toughest kids to the sandlot. And then we're going to get through all this stuff and all of that conversation is then has this confusing overtones. They start listing names of swords. So it sounds like those champions are going to have to go out and like find these swords to bring to this battle. Um, and uh, and in, while that whole final scene is going on, Cable had a vision and he saw something. So he went to go talk to Cyclops and mom, Jean Grey. And Jean links all their minds and shows him, Cable shows him this weird vision he had. And Cyclops is like, oh, I know what that is. It's like a big metal circle. And so he's like, I, let's go follow me. I'm going to take you to that big metal circle. We don't know what it is. They're like, we need a battery to power it. Cyclops cables like, well, good thing I got this giant glowing blue sword. And he shoves it in there and he powers it all up. And then the final page reveal is that that powered thing that he just powers up is like a battery for sword, like the right. organization sword. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the end of the issue. So did you get all that? <coughs> Yeah, I mean the the it's like traveling between worlds. Yep. The white the white dude with the symbol on his chest in black is a bad guy. Bad guy. A good guy. Exactly. And somebody shrunk the Egyptian god from that other was, world. That was when Saturnine was like being all godlike and stopped time to have this conversation with him. And he's like, I'm not taking your shit. And she's like, well, what if I shrink you down and be like a tiny little boy? And he still <laughs> keeps talking to her like a big meat meat puff. I um, love that. Yeah. Uh I don't like the whole like, okay, in three days, bring your champions back here and we're going to have a duel. Like I, that part, I was like, I don't dig that. I don't know why the big reveal was like the sword station being a thing. Is that, did that resonate with you, Roman? Other, not really, other than the fact it's, it's called sword. Yeah, <laughs> so I know. It's, it's one of the important swords, I guess. And Al Ewing is going to be writing a book called Sword now, like an X-Men book. Oh. Hmm um that was an excellent summation jeff you did you like outline all that <laughs> nope in fact i got really nervous about halfway through because i was like wait i don't actually know how i'm gonna do this for Django. um <laughs> no but, that was really that was really good because this is the last book i read today on my lunch break at, at work and yeah that that sounded like you refreshed it all for me <laughs> i liked it there were parts i didn't like as much the intro was very rough but it did find a way to make me care quite a bit about a bunch of stuff that I went into it not thinking I was going to care about that has showed up in other X-Men runs like the Reminder Uncanny X-Men run that I love has a whole other world arc that I just don't like. Mm -hmm. um, and um, yeah, you know, definitely not flawless. Definitely not flawless. I, I think these crossovers are going to be like, you know, like, oh, we got to go find one of these swords and it's in like a hell dimension. So send the Hellions crew. And, you know, like chapter seven is going to be that group going into a hell dimension to grab a sword or something like yeah. this. 
So, you know, fun to read every chapter. I think it will be if you've got like the cash flow to do it and the time to do it. But I do think it's um, superfluous in terms of, you know, is it necessary? I don't think it is. Well, but so I guess that's probably chapter seven, but chapter 14 will be when they get back. Right. You like know. there's, there's going to have to be a, at least some issues that are main through lines. Yeah. And, and there's like four of them. There's like, there was this okay. one, 10 of swords creation. The next one's called stasis. And I think it's number 10. And then there's a different. Oh, one. okay. So it's all, it's all the 10 of swords. Um, one shots are going to yeah. be the main series. So that's what happened in Ten of Swords this week, Django, and I'll keep you abreast of the situation. I Please give do. it um, an 8.5. I liked it a lot. It was so big. And now, Roman, please talk as long as you want about that book because I just dominated that. Oh, um, uh, it, it was... It wasn't easy. It wasn't an easy read for me. No. I I fell asleep a couple times and like, okay, focus, focus, and reread like the same page, not meaning to, because I'd already forgotten that I read it. <laughs> um, I'm a little in the Django camp where I'm like, oh, all these goofy names and kingdoms and blah, blah, blah. I will be here for everyone to make them feel like they're reading it if they don't want to. Yeah. Could we, so could, you is, bow out, I'll be here for I, you. I think I'm a little just kind of burned out because when I was a kid, I would have thought, oh, this is so cool, the kingdom of whatever. And I think now after all these years, I'm just like, yeah, another, can we just call it like, like the Citadel? That's a great name. I don't have to figure out how to pronounce it. <laughs> just... <laughs> and, but, that was but, the oldest white guy thing I've ever heard Roman <laughs> say. Arako, Krakoa, and um, Okara. Okara. Like, like, they were limited in the number of letters they were allowed to use. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I am kind of intrigued having uh, Saturnine and Otherworld being such a main part of the story because I first ran into them in, in, in Excalibur, but I think they might actually be uh, maybe Alan Moore creations from when he was writing Captain Britain in hmm. Britain because they, they first appeared then. It's crazy that Otherworld is this place that acts as this hub with these 10 doors to like 10 different realities. And every one of those doors is guarded by a Captain Britain. And I'm like, man, they like... Apparently, yeah, there was a whole Captain Britain core. It's just the one just, on Earth. Yeah, just doing. crazy that all of Otherworld would be using British, British affiliation to guard the doors. Yeah, well, yeah. that's because Otherworld, way before any of these comics ever existed, before Marvel existed, that's that's just an old... British name and I didn't realize mm. that I should have realized it's the obvious thing these swords are going after um that that uh Polaris and whatever the name is of one of Apocalypse's kid the one with the cool mummy wrappings I woman. love that but, character design. but yeah she's got that cool uh uh solar disc Egyptian solar disc for part of her head great design on his children yeah, Pepe Larraz talked about the character design work that he went into for all of these characters and like the influences that he had. And obviously it was like an Egyptian theme, but then he had like cyberpunk and he had these like, he cited several of the sources of inspiration hmm. for it. And I, it, it's very, um, very reminiscent of the things that he said. And I, I just, I think they look great. Yeah, they do. And, and yeah, definitely that Egyptian stuff. And the one is straight up Anubis, the God of the dead yeah. in, in yeah. Egypt. But yeah, they list these swords and I recognize the name of a lot of them because they're swords that already exist within the Marvel universe. Like the like sword. sword. 
Yeah, and like the Soul Sword, which is the Black Knight Sword, and and Grass Cutter, which is an old, it's from Japanese mythology. There's a volume of Usagi Yojimbo that's called Grass Cutter, and it's a classic like soul stealing sword. But somebody in the Marvel Universe has it too. So maybe this is part of Donny Cates' image crossover book, and they're going to be getting <laughs> swords from other realities. Um, Roman, yeah. What, yeah, yeah. What did you? What would you give it number wise? Uh, I think I'd give it a seven. And there's parts of it I really dug, and parts of it I was just like, yeah, yeah. In fact, by the time I got to that cool graphic. I just flipped right past it because I was like, okay, I've already had enough information. I'm not even going to try and figure that out. Don't care. <laughs> it was so much of information and it was like 75% of the information you need and the 25 other percent is the previous issue of X-Men that like yeah. was that tome that we had last week. Um, so yeah, it like, it is like a novel. Like it felt like a novel and like sitting down to like, parse things out and divide things and like really get it, it, it felt to me like several times like what it would be like reading lord of the rings like you have to buy into mm -hmm. a yeah. really rich history and and make some attempts to understand it so jang i'm going to make sure that you are a part of this journey all right okay i'm i i think that uh that's the way it's going to happen that's the way it's going to happen that's the I, way it's going to happen yeah i, I i'm going to give it an incomplete i love it i love it i did not read it can we talk about raisins? <laughs> They're mean. Those are some unkind raisins. <laughs> the Unkindness of Ravens, Boom Studios, written by Dan Panosian, art by Mariana Ignazzi and Fabiano Mascolo. With four pages by Dan Panosian in the very beginning. Those four pages of Dan Panosian art are so good. He is yeah. such a fantastic artist. Didn't he do the the art for the Batman in Quarantine podcast? He absolutely did. What in a this, guy. In, in tandem with Django Boren, the graphic illustrator <laughs> extraordinaire. Um, yeah, I thought the, the best part of this issue were those four pages of lots of text by Dan Panosian yeah. illustrated by him. But it was, um, it was a, lot of, a lot of text there. I actually like the art in the rest of it. It's pretty simple. Um, a little bit a little bit off from the standard boom all ages or young adult book kind of sex um, criminally looking art yeah yeah and it's the the colors are all super rich i like what they do with the lighting in it and story wise i thought it was pretty good it it feels like uh like a a good level cw tv show to me yeah it totally felt like that and i feel like the girl who's a bully who walked in Mm -hmm. That like her character design looks like she was drawn to be Veronica from uh, Riverdale. Yeah, Roman, does that look exactly like that actress? Since I know we've watched Riverdale. Yeah, I could see that. All right, yeah. never mind. If it wasn't screaming to anybody else, but we're all no Django. God, listen. <laughs> um, yeah, it. I think the CW comparison is totally on. It like it. It's not immediately the thing I would associate with Dan Panosian putting out. Did he write slots as well, or just do the art? I think he wrote it. Okay. If he did, this is a very different tone. It's an, that's my thing is it's an incredibly different tone. It's, it's yeah. a, and very different from the art that he puts out there. It is very like teen drama, -y, high school drama. So, but I, I did like it. It's got a very like 
in Django, again, what you said with the, the lighting, the whole thing mm-hmm. has a sort of washed fall look. And I like, we'll be talking about autumnal later and this, like both have these like wonderfully fall feels to them. And it is fall, unless you're listening to this long into the future when time no longer matters. <laughs> Although time no really doesn't matter now anyway, so. Yeah, he did, he did write slots. Nice, what a remarkably different tone. Um, yeah. yeah. I think that one's writing felt a little bit more natural to me than this one does, but not bad by any means in this one, but um, such a different subject matter. Yeah. It just, it basically follows a new girl in a new high school who looks exactly like a girl who's disappeared recently in the town, but she wears glasses and the other girl didn't. And the principal, it's not really, it's not really clear why, but they give her this other girl's locker like the disappeared girl's locker, which I thought was a, a weird move on, on the administration's part. Yeah. Um, and in that locker, there's like a, a spooky, invisible, magical message telling her where to meet people after school. And she's got like the two, the, the super popular and the super misfit crew both want to talk to her after school. I like the scene where she is... Um, like the dude is harassing her and she or harassing her, her friend, the guy who's showing her around school. She threatens to beat him up with her um, karate. And later on you find out she doesn't know karate. She's just uh, spunky. Spunky. Roman, you like pretending you're in high school still and in trouble. <laughs> hey, hey, hey now. Don't, don't, we're not recording now, are we? Uh, <laughs> yeah, this was a fun book. It was... Uh, oh, youths. Yeah. <laughs> want to see uh, my gloves <laughs> um, uh, god damn what was i gonna say i don't know i, I mean it was pre- i mean it was pretty cliched that the the bad girls the misfits in the school i mean are such cliches but they were fun cliches um and it's like the craft one is yeah. wearing a shirt that says misfits no, yeah yeah <laughs> with an yeah um and the fact that they're they're witches, they're apparently witches um, in this town. It's somewhere on the New New England coast, isn't it, Django? Sure, <laughs> Django. You know, I see. You know I can't about this area. Right? It, I mean, it, it has to be because yeah. it, it looks like like from that first four pages, it's all about witch trials and stuff. So yeah. Oh, and I I found I found I found it. The name of the town is Crab's Eye, and she yeah, mentions how they could have picked a better name, but that you could say that about most towns in New England. They all sound like side dishes at an all-you-can-eat buffet, which made mm. me really want to go visit some of these weird named towns. <laughs> yeah. Or nautical names. I'll go with you. Hey, Jane, okay, cool. do you want to go, the three of us? Yeah, i go with you guys. Yeah, that's, that's where we could go gooey ducking. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we'll get some New England gooey ducks. We'll go mm. gooey ducking in gooey duck New England. Oh, is that what it's... <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Good reference. Good. You tied it all up in a nice bow with that one. And the gooey ducks in New England, of course, they're all like Lovecraftian. Scary. <laughs> God, you're right. I couldn't help but think that the principal, whose name is Principal Andrews, has to be a reference to Archie. That, yeah, I wonder, I thought that too. There's and that like the Veronica look of Riverdale. Yeah, you're right. Maybe there's some just Archie over Archie references here. Her mm-hmm. friend that she befriends is kind of like an he looks kind of orange haired, do goody type kid like Archie. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I, I didn't think it was particularly challenging, but I thought it was well done. I would give it a 6.5. Like Dan Panosian a lot. Would have loved if the whole book was his art. I'd, I'd give it a 7. And I'll, I think I'm going to keep reading it. 
especially if they don't bring raisins into it. Yeah, God, those <laughs> California SOBs. Roman, what's your score I'll, on it? Yeah, I'll give it a 6.5 as well. Okay. 6.5 okay. California raisins. Ew. You remember, you remember when we used to do numbers? I mean, crab's eye things? ravens. Oh. Raisins. <laughs> crab's eye raisins. Okay, yes. listen. We got to yes. talk about a book that's just been plummeting off the stands. Just diving off the stands. <laughs> um, Maybe we should fix those stands. Yeah, you're right. We should. I can't remember if it's Immortal She-Hulk or Autumnal next, but it should be Autumnal. Get it. Oh, is that uh, Autumnal? Okay. I, I, sure. Autumnal. Um, it's Everyone from... pronounce it how they think it's pronounced. Autumnal. Okay, you guys both did that at the exact same time. It was very powerful. I like to say <laughs> autumnal. Uh, written by Daniel Kraus, art by Chris Sheehan, uh, and colors by Jason Wordy, who I feel like we like. I know I liked in this issue. Huh. Um, basically follows a single mom taking her kid out of school and going back home because her mom or grandma died. Her mom died. And um, she's she goes back to the to her old hometown, which is this small kind of super tight knit town in the middle of probably New England, I guess. Um, it's called Comfort Notch, which mm, that's the name if, of the town. Yeah, if there's a I, worse name for a town, <laughs> if that sounds like some sort of sexual euphemism to me. Yeah. Um, and the, the people there are a little bit weird. They go to her mom's funeral and, and her the, the lady and her daughter are the only ones who are there. And uh, we get to see in the coffin and the mom is strangely covered in leaves with, with roots and stuff growing out of her. Evocative. Yeah, it's a, it's a good, I think it's a pretty good setup. A lot of good character work in here. Uh, the town is spooky. Yeah, there's, uh, a, there's a local... Um, rhyme that the little girls sing in the street that we hear again about as you see the the dead mother and the rhymes about growing mm -hmm. and there's stuff growing out of the mother's corpse yeah just to follow up Django um Jason Wordy colorist on first knife wasted space resonant the autumnal undone by blood butcher of paris and cyberpunk 2077 so a lot of stuff we've that we've about. liked yeah <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, I think I remember the name from um, Undone by Blood. Nice. That, that, and that had, had totally different colors than this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very, very well done. Uh, yeah. I, re I really like the little girl is given a copy of Stephen King's Eyes of the Dragons, Eyes of the Dragon before they go on their trip because um, I really liked that book when I was a kid. It, it was the book that he wrote for his 14-year-old daughter. Oh. Yeah. And, and I... And, I like the fact that that played in again when they're having the conference with the principal and the principal who, you know, you're not supposed to like, but one of the things I really didn't like about her is she sees that Stephen King book and she's like, Oh, a Stephen King book really for a, for a third grader or whatever she is. And obviously the, I was like, you, you stupid principal that that's his one book that has nothing to do with horror. <laughs> that's who it's it's for. a fantasy story. <laughs> it's huh. great for kids. Yeah. I really like there's, there's a, Kind of a maintenance worker, uh, a groundskeeper who gets super weird when the little girl picks up a leaf off the ground. Uh, and there's a there's a cool graph that shows how the leaf falls to the ground, and then he gets mad that she's handling it and has to kind of play it off 
like it's not a problem, but clearly there's something with the autumnal leaves in this small town of comforting notch. Yeah. That is vault, right? Yeah. Vault comics. It's vault a, nightfall. So it's their, their horror imprint. And oh. I, that's the first one of those that I've seen. And it also feels like that felt one of the, like the, the nicer packages in, of a vault book mm-hmm. I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. It's going like hotcakes on eBay this week. Who knows if it'll stick like that. Um, I like it. We're nothing if not a positive resource for people to stay abreast of how to flip a book. You know, we put this out Uh, six days after they've come out, you know, right when they're at their peak hottest. So people have plenty of time to like go down to the order it, wait for a delivery day, get it home, list it on eBay. (laughs) Lose lose $7. (laughs) Like two weeks have gone by and, uh, (laughs) you know, it's gone for cover price. So it's just interesting because because like every week or so there's a super hot indie book yep. in the like in the reseller market and sometimes the books are good and sometimes they're not and I think that this is one that is real solid and if you guys want to know more about that stay tuned uh, towards the end of our conversation for Django Boren's Uber Offshoot Indie Hour and oh, that is gonna- just <laughs> hold your goddamn breath. And, uh, and that's going to be a new ongoing segment of our podcast where Django tells us about those uber underground awesome indie books. <laughs> I give this a uh, seven and a half. Seven and a half. Roman, do you think it was the best Halloween book you've read yet this year? Well, yes, as in it's the only Halloween book so far I've read this year. You could have just stopped it, yes. of Raisins. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that as a Halloween book. Yeah, it's like the craft meets raisins. Marvin Gaye meets meets sun made California raisins. I never I never saw the craft. Me neither. But what? I played with, but I played with Marvin Gaye. We played Montrose together. Nothing stops the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Except for Roman. <laughs> I really, oh, I, really go, I really like man. the one of the things I liked in this, when one of the leaves falls down and actually has a little like trail behind it, like in the family circus. Oh, I knew you were going to say fucking family circus. <laughs> yeah, let me see um, it. Let me see it. And then when the leaf hits the pavement, it's the leaf the little girl picks up and holds to her face. The sound it makes when it hits the pavement is snick. <laughs> um, oh, is that a family I, circus uh, thing? Well, the, the goofy trail showing their path they took to get to that panel is... Django, did you also think it was a Family Circus reference and you knew he was going to say that, actually? Like, you you thought Family Circus? I did not think Family Circus, I but I knew but, as soon as he started describing it, he was going to reference that piece of shit. I didn't know Dude, I was going to... But as a comic shop, we stand against Family Circus. Absolutely, 100%. Oh, I, I, I do, too. It's awful. I didn't know I was going to say Family Circus either until I started, started talking. Sure, but, I, but, but, I, but my point was, I just that's, a, that's an ominous sound for a leaf to make on pavement. That doesn't make Snick. sense. It's, yeah, it's like a Wolverine popping his claws. Yeah. Oh. I'll give this yeah. book an eight and a half. I, I dug it. Nice. I, I really nice. liked it. Yeah. Nice. Well, I'm glad that we have a fingerprinted copy that I can read now. <laughs> I wore my gloves. <laughs> you always do. Never incriminated. Hey, listen. Um, a book I didn't wear gloves for was The Immortal She-Hulk, number one, by Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote a lot of books. Yeah, he wrote a lot of books in his, his last days. <gasps> Probably shouldn't do that one. <laughs> it's a good one, though.
Yeah. <laughs> if you're looking at the covers of these comics. Next, let's talk about The Immortal She-Hulk by Al Ewing, John Davis Hunt, and Marcio Menez. I was so excited to see that John Davis Hunt was the artist on this oh, book. Yeah, yeah I mean, the... lit like a bick. What, what, else, what else has he done? Where do I recognize him from? Wildstorm. He did all the art in that Wildstorm oh. book that we were over the moon, over the Saturnine moon about. <laughs> nice. <laughs> playful playful vibe in the room tonight um roman why don't you tell me what yeah. will you tell us all about this book uh sure it's about um the three deaths of jennifer walters the she-hulk because she's been killed at least three times maybe Wait. more what Sleep. Sleep. Oh, that, that's right. The sleep joke. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he loves that one. <laughs> <laughs> but, but this is written by Al Ewing, who's writing the Immortal Hulk book. And this ties in finally She-Hulk to the, uh, the world below and the fact that all the gamma radiated people in the Marvel universe are apparently immortal and come back from death because she goes down. She visits, his, visits, visits his, the world below, which is below hell. Um, each time she dies, but she doesn't remember when she comes back, she doesn't remember what she experienced there. She just has a vague sense that she went somewhere. Um, so the first time she dies is, you know, when she first gained her powers and Bruce saved her. The second time was uh, um, during one of those secret war events, the same one that killed uh, War Machine. I think that was Civil War II. Or, was that Civil yeah, War II? I think, I think it was Civil War II. Yeah. Okay. And the third time was during the recent uh, Empire. Empire. Empire, yeah. And this was pretty good. It had her, her like talking to Wolverine and talking to Thor about what it means to come back from death and what it means to apparently be immortal. She's kind of finding out that she apparently is. Um, just some good conversations, some, some nice art, and her experiencing the world below and the green door the first times and that horrible creature face that's in the sky mm -hmm. of the world below and brian banner her bruce banner's dad her uncle and and a very evil person i really like the conversation with thor i was gonna say the same thing go ahead and then just stop say the same thing <laughs> i really like the conversation <laughs> with thor no like really um to have this conversation about immortality between two quote unquote immortal beings mm -hmm. and the sort of you know tenuous relationship with immortality that anyone who's immortal has like yeah are you really immortal he's like yeah galactus is immortal right before i busted his ass open <laughs> yeah and that that page of the dying galactus is like an incredible piece of art but yeah I just, I really like the way uh, Thor was able to talk about that with Jennifer Walters. And then I also just loved puzzling over like, what is Thor working out with? He's just got like two bricks that have light between them and he's just trying to push them together. He's like, do you mind if I pump with you? And they just start <laughs> pumping iron, but it's really just like light, light beams and they don't talk about it, but he's like, He's, oh, oh, I got my rep in. I pushed these two metal things it's, it's, together. It's some kind of ionic uh, resistance. I didn't even think about right. ions. There I was thinking go. like Iron Man's uh, boosters. Pulsers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He, so, he, actually, what he's doing is he's just pushing two Iron Man boots together. They're pushing <laughs> away from each other. You know, she and she's doing bicep curls with a, a dumbbell that has the same light things like Have pulling you it down. that she is also doing curls without one? Yeah, yeah. Wow. 
she's got one in one hand. Maybe, maybe she's, she's pumping also, with the other with nothing. Maybe it's some kind of she's also working out some kind of balance thing too. I it's it's been a while since I I'm probably a year behind on Immortal Hulk at this point. Um, it's a bummer. I love it. Whatever reason that happened, it happened. Um, now I know why Django had such a hard time like getting caught up with it. For some reason, when you fall behind on Immortal Hulk, it's hard to catch up. Yeah, but I felt I was really happy that I almost did. I think I read all the trades that were out. Yeah, but the beginning of started. pandemic. So I'm yeah. like five or six episodes behind. And I think that this this was a nice little kind of side story to the Immortal Hulk stuff. Um, and the art is great. Like it, I, I think that if they, they could have done it with just anybody, but even if they'd had like Pepe Larraz, who I enjoy on the X-Men series, if they'd had somebody of that caliber on this, I don't think I would have liked it nearly as much. Yeah, I don't think it would be better, yeah. This has a very clean, perfect kind of look for what I want from the Immortal Hulk stories. I think that, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much behind in terms of everything that's happened with the leader. And, mm-hmm. and I haven't really seen bruce's dad since that in hell arc so yeah as for that portion of the story i really i'm not sure if there's way larger implications of what's going on but i i thought that they tied again a word that i've been using more and more is just elegance in terms of writing and comic Mm -hmm. writing and i i think that it's a it's a good word in comics because so often things are done kind of haphazardly you're just trying to connect or create things with pre-existing things I think it can be done poorly, but I think that this was done really elegantly in a way of taking the immortal She-Hulk, tying it into this concept of immortality and the green door that has been present in the Al Ewing book and, and, and really boost the current Hulk mythos and then also bring future She-Hulk stories into that arena as well. Really well mm-hmm. done. Yeah, yeah, there was, I'm especially thrilled because after reading Hulk Zero and Hulk 37 last week, I think, um, which Hulk Zero, of course, is a lot about Brian Banner. Then, then this this week with him talking about how he can't go through the green door, but he's learning to look through it and and manipulate things maybe through looking through it. And then the leader who's been in the latest issues of Hulk, um, just him talking about how he, how he's learning he's learned to apparently open and, and shut the green door, which is gonna like keep allow him to control all the Hulk all the gamma powered beings in the Marvel universe. It's pretty scary stuff. How who like is the leader? I also like toddlers. Um, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's an old Hulk villain. He was a, he was just some dumb janitor guy that, but then he got into some gamma radiation and the way it used to work in the Marvel universe, you get into gamma radiation and it, it's a, it's a gateway it, radiation for sure and it it, tr- it transforms you it transforms you into the opposite of what you were so bruce banner went from being a physically wimpy calm guy into being a raging monster uh the dumb janitor guy went into being a super genius the lead and the leader used to just be a little guy with a big Huge cone head. head basically <laughs> i love the way they draw him now especially this artist he looks I and mean, he looks like a really, he looks like a gamma radiated Martian from Mars mm-hmm. Attacks. <laughs> yeah, that's actually a good comparison. Yeah, I was really impressed with it. And I'm glad to see this dude, this artist working, considering last it was DC and now he's doing Marvel stuff. It made me really want to get caught up on Immortal Hulk. Like every time I hear Roman talk about it, it makes me want to. It, oh, it's so good. Yeah. After every, issue, after every you... issue, me and uh, uh, Andrew Carlson, friend of the show, text about I it. I love Andrew Carlson. <laughs> um, what do you give this issue? I'll give it a nine. Yeah. I'll give it a solid eight. 
I'd go 8.5. I'll split the difference with you boys. I'll be the cream of that Oreo any day. Mm, Let's get uh, let's get a little conversation with that skull digger and the crossbone of tomorrow. Man, Roman, did the last skull digger and skeleton boy issue come out before coronavirus was a thing that we were talking about every day? Tonchi Zonji. Uh, what? <laughs> the artist. That's the artist. Oh, Zonji. Zonji. Oh, oh yeah, so it is. Um, I think so because it feels like it's it's yeah it feels like it's been half a year since I read a skull digger. And I had no idea where we left off until about four pages in and then it all kind of fell together and I remembered the whole story. Yeah. Um, I would say, I would say Jeff Lemire should, should see if the queen will knight him or something. Cause he's such a, <laughs> such a great creator. Yeah. Yeah. And the way he brought it up, brought it all. Cause yeah. When we see this guy getting tortured by the bad guy, it, it, it took me a couple pages to remember who exactly he was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so they're, they're this this guy's basically torturing an old superhero yeah. who kidnapped or who who rescued a kid that the bad guy had stolen at some point. Yeah, and then that kid became Skull Digger, and he kidnapped a kid to turn him into Skeleton Boy. Um, yeah, I I love the way that we're getting the history and the origin story all at the same time here. Yeah, it's really, really well put together. Um, and and they, he did a thing, Jeff Lemire did a thing where he set me up for something that's been irritating me more and more, where he says he's below the butcher shop at Miller and Jansen. Right? Like throwing throwing old creators' names in there. And then on the page turn, you get a very Sin City <laughs> Daredevil black and white shot. And uh, that's awesome. I, I forgave it. <laughs> <laughs> if they do that more often, like do an art call out as well as a name call out, totally on board. Yeah, yeah. It's it's got to be it's got to be more than just throwing Denny O'Neill's name in anything, right? Um, yeah, man. The the art in this is amazing. Um, are, you, are you still reading it? It is. Sorry, yeah. I, I was just flipping through it and like, God, yeah. This is such a cool book. Um. And I think there's only one issue left. If I remember right, it was really? going to be a five-issue story. Yeah, Aww. it might be six. But, like, I don't think we've seen much Black Hammer get solicited. I guess there's the Colonel Weird Cosmogog that's coming out pretty soon. Yeah. And another issue of Skeleton Boy. But I don't, I don't think that there's been a lot of talk about other stuff. And Dark Horse in general has seemed like they're production schedule is pretty slim so i'm hoping that we we aren't seeing like you know the end of of black hammer oh yeah yeah i hope not um it's also good and you know it's kind of like it's kind of like the name name juggernaut uh skull digger and grim jim i just love saying these Mm -hmm. names (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's all so familiar and so so much different ish than the marvel and dc characters yeah he's he's just hitting exactly the tone that i would hope for with all this yeah yeah exactly i mean you think at first skull digger is just kind of a punisher knockoff and he kind of is but he's he's more there's something more wrong with him there's mm-hmm. he, may, he may be mentally unstable or definitely emotionally unstable yeah yeah the bar fight on the with with the both of them beating all the people up on the pool table. 
is just gorgeous. Like, oh wow. That's yeah. that's the what green, you, like the neon yeah. green in that is amazing. <laughs> the lighting. And and just like you need two pages, the top half of two pages to really give a bar fight with pool tables in it the scope. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you, what would you give it, Roman? Uh, I'd give it an eight and a half. Me too. I, uh, I'd give it an eight and a half or a nine. Um, I'm ready. I'm ready for the rest. Bring it on. Um, you also liked a bit of Daredevil. Number yes. 22, Chip Zdarsky, uh, Mobili. I, I can't find the first name. Let me find it. I, I will. Um, Francesco Mobili doing the art. This issue follows up on the daredevil being in jail or no sorry being sentenced for the murder of an issue one that happened and he have foggy defending him he gets to stay daredevil and not have his identity revealed but as he leaves in the evening he goes to he leaves foggy and he goes to find iron man to have a conversation with iron man and roman tell me about your thoughts on that i really i mean as it, as usual daredevil every issue is good but this, I love the conversation they have because um, he gets a hold of Iron Man and wants to talk to him about earlier in the series. There's there's been these these rich these rich jerks that uh, control a lot of the city and the state. Um, they were able to manipulate the kingpin as the mayor, and Daredevil knows they're bad, but he can't do anything against them. So he goes to Tony Stark to. Uh, ask him and try to convince him that look i want these people these rich people they they're being bought up by the strong winds i want you to um you know they're kicking people out the developers are kicking out residents that have nowhere else to go i want you to make counter offers to them and buy up realty in hell's kitchen and not only that but he wants them to buy it up not not kick out the residents, like give them fixed rents, um, <laughs> give them the opportunity to buy the buy the buildings themselves, maybe as cooperatives or whatever. And Tony's just like, "What? You want me to like lose money and do all this?" And and Daredevil's like, "No, I want you to help people and save people." And Tony's like, "Well, I save the world all the time." And Daredevil has that great line about, "Yeah, you save the planet, and people have to live on the planet." But this is a way to really help people directly in the city, in the community, and you you know use your money to help people on a social level, on a, on a very personal level in their daily lives. And Tony's like, oh, well, I'll, I'll think about it. And it's great because in the the art, you can tell he's like, man, he's got a point. I don't really want to do this, but he's got a good point. <laughs> yeah, I, I I really liked it. It it's that altruistic thing that like is superheroes, right? Like we, we expect people to sacrifice their lives or like put their life on the line if the the world needs it. But for some reason it's, it seems like a, even a larger ask to be like, all right, Tony, take 5 billion, you know, take 20% of your entire income and, or your, your fortune and, and give it away. That feels like for some reason, a harder ask than go fly up into a suit and try and stop a meteor from coming at the earth because so I, I really liked that it shouldn't have been that much of an ask, but it is yeah. like society and culture deems it such, even though these characters are, you know, always making such sacrifices. So yeah, I, I really liked that. And it's like, you know, I'm just asking you to do what we all always do, which is the right thing to help people. And um, yeah, now he uses that line. And, and yeah, it's, 
and it's not ever usually addressed in comics because it's not dramatic, you know, helping people by buying property and, and letting them rent it cheap or buy it cheap, cheaply from you. But it's some of the big level uh, things you can do to fight societal ills. And I love the fact that it's a hero like Daredevil has to point that out to a hero like Iron Man. Yeah, and I yeah. really like that for our times now, Daredevil having this conversation with, I mean, it doesn't fit with the new Iron Man number one where Tony's given away a chunk of his porch or of his fortune, though he's still rich. You can refer to it as his cake, like you always refer to your fortune. He has to give it a little bit of his cake away. Give away some slices of cake. That's Roman's literal fortune, Jeff. We don't we don't like the <laughs> he loves about that. cake. Mm, cherry <laughs> chip, cherry chip. I'm a rich man. Do you like cherry chip a lot? That's my favorite. That's my. Favorite. I like it a lot too. Yeah, oh, cherry man. chip. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, well, did we get a score from you on that one? Um, no, I will give this one just most because of that conversation. Uh, I'll give it a nine point five. Nice. I'd give it an 8.5 because I think that I, I really, that artist is not as, I wish that, you know, Marco Cicchetto was doing the art. Not a deal breaker, but uh, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, I yeah. do wish I missed Cicchetto. Um, okay, listen, you guys, now that we're here, we finished the conversation about the book. Hey, Roman, you're Django, do you have anything else you wanted to toss? Like, oh, God, good Lord, I've been talking about it all night. We've got the Uber <laughs> under the radar, superpower hour, Django boring. Going to make sure all you indie folks know exactly what's coming out from those cool, cool cats at the places that maybe you hadn't heard of. Behemoth and Aftershock. Yeah, let's, tell let's, me about let's those. Do this in, let's do this in publisher alphabetical order. Please. First up, from Aftershock, it's which I noticed. I noticed, Jeff, you're wearing an Aftershock shirt. I am. Read Dangerously. Read Dangerously. That is, that is a comfortable dang shirt, and it matches yeah. my blurred wall. It matches your, I sometimes get worried when you're wearing it because it's just, you're just a floating head. Yeah. Um, Miles to Go by B. Clay Moore, Stephen Molnar, and Thomas Maurer is kind of a criny book. It, it, it actually kind of reminded me of a autumnal because it's a, a mother and a daughter kind of relationship. And the mother <laughs> has this old secret. Um, the mom used to be when she was a child, it seems like she was maybe a, a murderer, like a little, a little hit girl kind of situation, um, which we see on the, on the second page where she just pops a bubble and then blows a dude's head off. Um, and then like we aftershock looking art. Yeah, I it's it's like it's good aftershock art. Yeah. Um they don't I think they have kind of two house styles and I like one a lot more than I like the other. This one is more on the um um undone by blood end of things. Mm -hmm. So kind of like mostly cleaner cleaner lines, lots of lots of weird country roads. Um, but let's not forget that the first time we saw Jorge Fornes' art was from an aftershock book. Yeah. Yeah. Um and this this is just this is all set up. It's a little bit shorter than I would have liked. Um, I, I think that, and and I think it, part of it is because there's like eight pages of documents in the end, like um, kind of like Watchmen back matter. Um, there's a bunch of that, but the the setup of this woman and her daughter and her getting kind of roped back into this life of crime is right up my alley there's there's kind of der derpy good guy bad guy fbi or nsa agents and um a, a whole lot of mystery and a lot of heart sets it up so uh, miles to go 
I think it's good. I think people should read it if it's at all up their alley. Um, I also read by Behemoth, new publisher. Behemoth. I wasn't familiar with them. They did something last week. Oh, they did I, the Charnel, oh, Cardinal Dragon? Cardinal Dagon, yeah. Dagon. That one. And I feel like they did something within the last couple of weeks that maybe we talked about. Like maybe even oh, last week. A Girl week. Walks Home Alone at Night. I just ordered that on FOC this last that week. That looks super cool. The Purple Oblivion. Yeah, so they've, they've got a handful of books. And apparently Hotline Miami by Federico Chimilo and Marizzo, whoa, Maurizio Farini with art by Alba, <laughs> Alberto Massaggia. That's a lot of names, guys. <laughs> That's a lot of vowels. Um, this is this is based on a video game. Do you guys know anything about the video game? Nothing at all. Okay. No. I don't know how it's based on a video game. I don't know how this fits in. It's it's another crime book, um, like a, a, just a, a dude who likes sometimes doing cocaine and going dancing and playing video games in 1989. Yeah. Um, gets this mysterious package one day. And in the package is a, a rabbit hat and some guns. And by the end of it, he's broken into somebody's house and uh, with the rabbit mask and guns and shit goes down. Uh, I, I really like the art. I like the, like the colors are very sort of Miami vice, mm. lots of whites and pale. Even the blood is kind of fluorescent pink. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, if, if nobody had told me that this was uh, from a super small publisher or that it was based on a video game, uh, I, I would have been even more likely to read it, but it, it roped me in. Well, I give, I give no, wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Hi, Jeff. As the usual, when it comes to Django's Uber Indie Underground Power Hour, right, we don't every time. use standard number scoring. We say, which of this book's if it were nine o'clock in a downtown rainy urban area and you were going to the coffee shop to try and attract surreptitiously the attention of a stranger by being really cool, which mm -hmm. of these books would you be reading? I would read both of those if it was, if it was based on somebody who, um, no, 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 no. Has to recognize which one, me. Which one gets the coffee shop. And then for the one that's not the coffee shop, because obviously that's the coolest place to read something, right. you know, in public, but anonymously. Yeah. Then where does the other one fall? And that's, you know, like that's the score system. A 10 is the coffee shop, obviously, which of the ones got the coffee shop. And then, you know, is the other like a blimpies. <laughs> so, so, uh, in order to attract someone into a conversation at the coffee shop, I was 100% pick hotline Miami. Okay. Based solely on the cover. It's a gorgeous cover. Uh, the other one is is kind of abstract, and you got to look at it. It'd be weird. Um, Hotline Miami gets that gets that particular gooey duck and miles to go. Where would I you would, read that one? I would say I would need to read that one at an off-brand Sherry's. Okay, perfect. That is exactly what I was looking for. That is exactly on the money. Thank you uh, once again. We love it. Django's Uber Indie Underground Power Hour. Look I'm just for happy it. to be here, Jeff. Just, I'm just happy to be here. I'm just happy to be here. Now we do have we do have a letter. Oh for, God, uh, a question from somebody. I don't know. I, you you've got something, some fucking thing up your sleeve. Well, I've just got a little bit of a roundhouse for us. Um, um, okay, how much of the letter? How, how much time is in the letter? It's pretty quick. Okay, let's get it. 
Okay. Uh, this is from Nathan Butcher. Love him. Nabu is what I like to call him. Um, who would win in a fight? <coughs> Roman telepathically piloting the Hulk or me, $5 billion, a year to prepare, and Deadpool on my team. And by me being Django or Nathan? He says you, so I okay, think he means okay. me. Okay. So Roman telepathically controlling the Hulk mm-hmm. or Django with $5 billion, a year to prepare, and Deadpool. Yeah. Well, definitely Django. I think Django could do it with the $5 billion in a year. I think the only way I stand a chance is if Roman is too busy masturbating about being inside the Hulk's mind mm. to properly pilot I the behemoth, if you will. I would have done that enough in the, in the year previous. <laughs> <laughs> when it came down to dual day, he'd be safe. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I definitely, you know, no disrespect, Roman, but uh, I... Um, his $5 billion ain't going to do shit when I jump, jump him up in the atmosphere and throw him into the sun. That's true. <laughs> shit. Nope, shit. I changed my answer to Roman. <laughs> All right, everyone. Listen, I have, I have pulled the internet, the most valuable resource we have, um, Andrew Carlson. Is this burps and farts again? No, it's not, but it's <laughs> okay. similar. I asked for Andrew to find 10 random books throughout the history of the podcast that Django and Roman both gave scores on to see if looking back based on memory, you can tell me what you think your score was just to prove the sort of (laughs) fallacy type nature of our scores with time no longer on your side, Roman and Django. And for each of these, we went alphabetically. Django's score is listed first. Roman is listed second. Django and Roman... What were your scores for Grass Kings number one? Eight. Yeah, 7.58, right in there. <laughs> Django, 7.5. Roman, okay. seven. Both of you are within 0. 0.5 on oh, that one. Well right. done. Pretty good. Well done. Uh, we're going to ace this. <laughs> I think so. Batman the Shadow, number one, by Orlando Snyder <laughs> and Rosmo. Uh, I would guess that I gave that a seven probably mostly because the shadows in it <laughs> roman i would guess wait wait I'd... is this is this the first series or the second series i can't remember um good question batman the shadow did i think this... it was shadow batman was the first one this is the one that has snyder and ross mode i don't know if ross was on the second i'm, I'm, I'm gonna stand by a seven i think oh. it's the first one but um i'm gonna say a seven. Okay. Django, eight. Mm. Roman, 8.5. Oh, damn. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 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 So All we right. get more points for how f- the absolute value of how far we are from um, our actual scores? The inverse of that. The f- closer that you are, the less of the absolute value between your reported now and your actual scores. That is some golf bullshit. Yeah, you want to ideally have a zero. You want to guess the number that you gave it last time. Okay, so we can, Roman, we can make up some ground here. You can. Okay, okay. The you thing can. I'm most curious about is if Andrew drew like one of those charts like you get in an, uh, in an X Hickman book. He did. He sent oh, me a sweet. picture of that. I cannot show you it because it has the answers on it. Oh, yeah, it's a of thing course. of beauty. Yeah. <laughs> Moon Knight, number 14, Jeff Lemire's run. Nine. <laughs> okay. 
8.5. All right. Django and 8. Roman and 8. So oh. Oh. Uh, we like comics more after in the retrospect fact. sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. okay. 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 Ooh, this one's going to be hard. Jimmy's Bastards, number one. Mm-hmm. Garth Ennis, someone else, Aftershock S- Publishing. Braun. Uh, seven and a half. Braun Strowman? What? No, Braun. Uh, Russ, Russell Braun was the artist. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, God, I don't remember. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say an eight because I remember it was funny. Django, 7.25. Roman, 7. Django, you were within 0.25 on that one. If you would just given a real boy score when you reported it originally, you could have gotten it. <laughs> I probably would have rounded down. <laughs> okay. Listen, buddies. Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number 21. Maybe that's the one with Brain Drain that we read? Mm. I'm going to say 7. I'm going to say 9. Get ready for this. Django, 7.5, Roman, 6. 6? Oh, my God. Oh, that must have been the issue with all the... Uh, Tiny words? The, no, with the com- computer science stuff, because there was one issue of the whole run that I didn't, that I disliked, and it was that oh. issue, because it was heavily mm. computer science and coding stuff. Computer sinus is your first problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, there's some, there's some good ones in here. Um shirtless bear fighter number one Ten. think about shirtless bear and the fighter number one what did you think about that back then 10 it had that dick joke where every time he turned flap, around flap, it went flap, flap. <laughs> yeah uh, probably a nine yeah probably a nine for me check this out Django, 7.5 roman eight what <laughs> that dick joke couldn't save that comic for me wow we do have rose colored glasses memory glasses yeah Doom Patrol, number seven, way all red. That was near the end of that first run. That was the one with that, that mostly takes place inside of the ambulance or on the on street. Danny okay. the street, right? Danny, Danny the ambulance. It has all, yeah. all red art in it, so. Yeah, that's a hard one, man. Um, I would feel like I give that whole series a six every time. I have to talk about it. I'm going to say seven on that one because I like Allred okay. <laughs> that, that's what I was going to say was seven. Django, six. Roman, eight. Fuck. So if you just stuck with eight. your gut there, <laughs> I feel like I gave a six to every single one of those issues. So I'm going to go seven. <laughs> You're, you know, you metagamed that one too much, Django. I think I'm going to give you the point for your instinct on that because you did give all that series a six. Nobody's Dark- ever going to trust our rec- oh, This is a great comic. I remember thinking it was awesome. 5.5, huh? Um, Dark Days, The Forge, One Shot, Snyder, Jim. Jim Lee, J-R-J-R. Oh, God. I think I would have given that a seven and a half. Oh, I'm going to see. Yeah, seven, seven and a half. <laughs> Django is seven. I'm actually pretty impressed with you at this point. Like, you know, your absolute value is generally 0. 0.5 to 1 to 1. 1.5, but I'm, I'm impressed with its consistency. Roman, you gave it a five. <laughs> oh shit <laughs> no wonder i didn't keep on reading those dark days <laughs> um they were dark days batman number 18 king and finch so that's gonna be you know near the, the that's bane? probably like near the bane 
stuff breaking into the prison a little yeah. after that i bet before I'll bet the I gave joker that a you were nine i bet i gave that a nine okay i bet i gave it an eight okay Django 7.5 roman uh, 8.5 must be a different issue oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're thinking of the issue where him and the shadow broke into the right, 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 right. <laughs> batwoman rebirth number one it's listed as TIV and Epting. So I wonder if Jimmy TIV wrote that one. Batwoman Rebirth, number one. Seven. <laughs> Six. Roman, 6.5. Django, 3.5. Oh, no wonder I don't remember giving it a score. <laughs> so that's all the ones that I got today. But, uh, Ro- or Jenks, fuck you both. Andrew. <laughs> Andrew, thank you so much for finding those, playing this game. You're wonderful. I was like, hey, man, if you're not doing anything and you wouldn't mind doing this instead, I would super appreciate it. And he was like, that sounds fun. I was like, you are so awesome. Um, And he also says, if you ever have any particular issues you want numbers from, let me know and I'll grab them. What a wonderful kid. Love him. Love him so much. That was Um, a fun game, Jeff. I feel dumber now. Did you like that game? I thought it would be fun to sort of just like, yeah, the numbers mean something. <laughs> um, gosh, yeah that that would be that'd be a fun thing to do every week, bud. Yeah, well, that's on Andrew to, <laughs> to ask us <laughs> to do. But we could, I could probably scroll through the email if it has the book title and then like a return and a return. It could have all three of our scores, and I could just not scroll down to our, you know, like my mm-hmm. score and all three of us could play it if andrew wants to do five of those a week uh and email them to us he's welcome to i would play that game every single week but also i'm not trying to make people who just want to enjoy the podcast do work i do that with everybody <laughs> else all the time sorry um all right my friends Django, is that your second mug of tea yeah man that guy punched me in the throat and it feels weird i'm super sorry about the, the incoming punch whenever that happens what kind of tea you drink for a sore throat I'm drinking throat coat, but it's not a sore throat. It's like swollen lymph nodes. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I, I actually Googled whether that was a coronavirus symptom. It ain't. Mm. No. Yeah, super not. And that throat coat stuff is good. Love a mm-hmm. love that. Yeah, it, it, it will be next week. It will yeah. be. Yeah, they're always changing. Yeah. Well, hey, listen, everybody, that's all I had for us tonight. That's all that's all we got. Django, thanks for letting me talk you through Exosaurus. I can't wait to keep doing that. <laughs> yeah. I I can't wait for you to keep doing that too. Cause I don't think I'm gonna I might read the X-Men issues yeah if they're not set fucking other world or georgia or wherever it is <laughs> it's other world. at some point they're going to cross over with one of the swords is the light of galador or something it's not like it's gonna that's cost- some lord of the Rings shit oh it is but it's also where rom space knight was from but now that's owned by a different company so i don't know how they're gonna well marvel's been doing it rom was in cable and and he those was? space knights were coming after his sword he has that sword i think they the don't that- they oh, don't name him anymore Oh, oh, really? so they just still- call him like the original Space Knight or something like that. Oh. And they apparently, Ron was telling me about this the other day, uh, because ROM was a licensed Hasbro product that Marvel doesn't have anymore, they've had to change his name in reprints and stuff. And there are certain things that they just can't reprint at all. Wow. Interesting. So it showed other Space Knights, but I, I, now that you mentioned, I don't know that it showed ROM, but it's clearly those same character designs. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, Cable in the first issue of the series got this glowing sword that was a big deal and that was the sword he used to power up that sword oh. generator so okay yeah. yeah wow i didn't know they they did the same thing that, that they did with fu manchu in brubaker's iron fist run where they can't call him fu manchu anymore but that's mm-hmm. what it is yeah yeah uh, 
Yeah, I just want to see what Django ends up with after I just sort of bastardize a summary for like several books a week on a story form. <laughs> the the biggest problem that I have with with that is is really just the setting. If they had done it in a place where I didn't have to learn all of the names and characters and the locations on every single page, I'd probably have a lot easier time doing it. And like, you know, I, you know, just like, that's, that's all good, man. There's just shit I don't read. There's shit I don't yeah. read that I know is good that I don't read. And this may even be good. So you don't even have that certainty. This, this has every chance to be pretty bad. So I'm, I'm very excited, but it does have me nipples hard right now. Mm. I like your commitment. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, kind of a real quick. Please. Yes. Good Lord. Yes. Doctor Doom has come back. The title. Yeah, for Cantwell. That by was Chris, a great issue by Christopher Cal. Yeah, and I just want to say, this was a great issue. If people forgot about this series or haven't started, you know, pick this up. This was a great issue. That is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's gorgeous. At one point, that's the Doom, only yeah. thing I didn't read on my stack this week. Oh, it's so it's so good when Doom comes riding over the snowy hill and to back to his castle, and he's riding a bear that he somehow tamed but apparently fought because the bear has blood all over its muzzle. <laughs> Dude, the Salvador La Roca art is awesome in it also. It's not at all problematic in the way that the Star Wars one was where it's super photo referency. It doesn't look yeah. like that really at all to me. And it's gorgeous. The And like Doom puts an alternate suit of armor on in it. It's like his judge armor and these giant tusks. And it's like, <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. 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 I, I'm glad that you dug that. I wanted more Kang in it, but yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Kang's in it. Doom makes his, now that he's back at his castle, he makes his, uh, uh, his, what do you call it? The retinue, the all like, like prove their loyal, loyalty to him again. Swear an oath of fealty. Yeah, yeah. The hand motions that you made, I thought he was just making a cake. Well, he does that too. So he makes a cake. The one thing I was confused about in that issue is that then these kids show up and they call him father and they all have scars all over their faces. And he had just like caused a dude to kill himself and cut his face up because he was like taking Doom's position. Are those actually Doom's kids? I don't know. I'm, I don't know who these kids are. Okay, cool. So I yeah. just didn't know if I was missing something because there were some issues, issues of that series that I missed, but I was like, fuck it, it's been months. I'm jumping back in. Yeah. Actually, I thought it was going to be five originally. Yeah, I think it got extended because it was pretty popular. There is a very charming ad in it for uh, Empire. So everyone, <laughs> the Earth Shattering event of 2020 begins this April. Does it? Uh, and it's like, that image doesn't really ever happen. That story changed. And it has a quote about like, enemies must become allies. I'm like, I don't really think that was exactly what ended up happening with the X-Men tie-in of that book. That's yeah. interesting that they printed that so long ago and it took this long to come out. Like I yeah. thought we had shaken out all the April, like the, what was that ad that had like the, the table draped, like yeah, the X-Men. all will be revealed or whatever. Yeah. Whatever X-Men event that was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's all for today. Thank you. You can get us emails at info at the right? Papcast or something. You want to weigh in on the shorthand for the Papcast being Papcast? Django hates it. Tell us your thoughts. Um, or just ask us any question like Nathan's question or anything. I love it. We want it. We love hearing from people. Otherwise, Jeff's going to just keep making up dumb games. Um, but uh, yeah, um, Django, good to see you. Jeff, it's good to hear your voice. Roman, it's a pleasure to talk to you. It's a pleasure to talk to you and to be talked to. Mm, yes. Mm. 
Um, well, I look forward to Talk seeing to the me. two of you <laughs> one week from today at this same time and not a moment before, darn it. Say my name. I'm Jeff. <laughs> I'm Django. That was, ro- that was that, that was that guy. I'm never saying his name again. I'm not gonna ever.